and welcome to Two Old Guys on the Back Porch. I am Steve Scotch, and we have the lovely and talented Cat. That's C A T stealing the show. Cat, what's happening? Hey, how y'all doing? We can count on Stitcher, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and all your premier podcast platforms. Uh, we also can be found on Facebook and Instagram. Give us a follow. Uh, our two shout outs this week. One is Greece, New York, near Rochester. It used to be part of the city of Gates, but they wanted to break away and they named it Greece. Selected because the contemporary struggle of Greece to be independent from the Ottoman Empire. Kind of a reflection, I suppose. Our other town is Kansas City, Missouri. The, of course, the gateway to the West there, thriving dinner scenes, stellar collection of museums, historical landmarks. And don't forget Arrowhead Stadium, where you can see a certain Swifty cheering on our boy. Yay. All right. They don't get applause or anything. Here we go. A little slow on the button. All right. Alcohol, of course, is always here on the back porch. Now, the great thing about alcohol is if something bad happens, you can drink to forget. Something good happens, you can drink to celebrate. And if there's nothing happening, you can drink to make something happen. Today, I'm having a dry martini, Bombay Sapphire, and a whole jar of olives. Cat, what you got? I have uh, still some cranberry juice in the fridge, and I used me, made me a cranberry lemon drop with a little wow. limoncello and vodka and... Juice. Sounds a little too sweet like you, babe. Thanks, Dawn. All right, today we're going to discuss the disgusting celebratory acts of athletes in the college and pro ranks. I'm sick of looking at it. Somebody's got to put an end to it. And it looks like it's going to be two old guys on the back porch. Now, usually we like to tell you what sparked the reason for a topic, you know, that we picked? And this one was sparked by two special a-holes who play football. The first one is Dante Johnson. He's a receiver for the Steelers. And uh, actually, the Steelers have two idiot receivers. The Pickens guy. He's, I don't know what's up with that dude. But anyway... Dante, check this dude out. He scores a touchdown in a game where the Steelers were going to lose to the Arizona Cardinals, who had won two games all year. This was a couple weeks ago. So Dante scores a touchdown and then jumps around in the end zone after scoring a touchdown that meant absolutely nothing. It was embarrassing to the Steeler Nation. This is his own personal celebration. The uh, handful of Steeler fans who were still watching the game, who were still there, who hadn't left because it was an embarrassing performance, they just lowered their heads in shame. I mean, dude, check the scoreboard. Check the time clock. You scored a meaningless touchdown. And he jumped around saying, look at me. Look what I did. Now, the other idiot that sparked this podcast is Shiloh Sanders. And who the fuck is Shiloh Sanders, you ask? Exactly. All right. He plays safety for the Colorado Colorado Buffaloes. 
a college football team coached by his dad, the genius known as, known as Dion Sanders. Now, Shiloh, he lays these big hits on dudes, right? And, and then he stands over top of them and, and flexes his very average muscles. You know, even though if you look at the scoreboard... What's he skipping a leg day? While Shiloh... <laughs> is standing over his opponents after he's laid them out. If you look at the scoreboard, the Colorado Buffaloes are getting their ass handed to them game after game. It's it's unbelievable. Now, in the college arena, back in the day, showing up your opponent, it, it was frowned upon. So I don't know how this punk doesn't get flagged for unsportsmanlike conduct. I don't get it. And here's a kicker. Shalu Sanders, his dad is the freaking coach. And he, he doesn't do shit about it. Okay, if my son was out there standing over another player after I tackled him, after he tackled him, I'd grab my son by his face mask and drag his ass over to the bench where he would sit the rest of the game. Now, our I, son did a lot of tackling in soccer that was... We're not going to talk about his badge sportsmanship. He got scolded for it. I mean, what are we doing? I mean, these dudes are like, look at me. Dude, look at the scoreboard, okay? You're getting your ass kicked, and it's, it's unreal. Now, the NFL has allowed its own brand of celebration over the last few years, and it's actually pretty funny, right? Like after somebody scores a touchdown, the players act out some kind of a range skit, like bowling pins are knocking down or they're rowing a boat or something. It is, it's kind of clever, kind of funny. I like it. You know, at one time, the NFL was referred to as the No Fun League. So uh, now we're going to have some fun. Uh, let's move on from football to baseball. And you've known from the other podcast, I'm a major, major league baseball fan. <laughs> now, these players, they like to celebrate right after hitting a home run out of these tiny little stadiums. Okay. The big tattooed arm major league baseball player of today with all his jewelry on. Okay. He likes to stand there and admire his work, right? Take the bat flip it up in the air, act like a total pompous ass, and then slow trot it around the bases. Pretty much showing up the pitcher, right? Usually this ends bad. Somebody gets hit next time up. Pitchers don't like it. Opposing teams don't like it. But they keep doing it anyway. And instead of acting like, you know, they've hit a home run before, we get to watch this total lack of sportsmanship it, the whole it's kind of played out and old at this point you know look at me look at me look how great i am i don't know major league baseball as a whole it's slowly going down the drain all right who's next all right what's next is i need a sip of my martini all right who's next nba or nhl who are we gonna go i know what Let's go to women's college volleyball. <laughs> now, I don't know why I like to watch women's college volleyball. I'm sure it has nothing to do with the 
long legs and the skimpy shorts. I think it's the pure athleticism of these women who play college volleyball that gets my attention. After every point in volleyball, whether they win the point or not, we have to do the high-fiving. Everybody high-five, high-five, high-five. And then we get to go play the next point. It's so freaking annoying. Look, if you win a game or a set or a match, whatever they call it, go ahead and high-five away. But after every point, come on, man. Now, different sport, but same unnecessary high-fiving. And that's the sport, if it really is a sport, and that's pickleball. Now, you know here on the two old guys on the back porch, we have an obsession with pickleball. Dialed in. It's actually on television if you own one. A lot of people don't own a television. Thing keeps saying you can watch pickleball TV. Yeah, it's they have their own channel now that shows pickleball twenty four seven. I'm not kidding, or am I? Okay, now I've tried to play and watch pickleball, and of course I'm very good at it. But but the watching part, it's not it's not very good. Okay. After every freaking point during the doubles matches, here we go again with the high-fiving. Okay, it's, it's unnecessary, okay? From one court to another, we'll go to the world of professional tennis where we have fist pumping. Now, I think we brought this up when we were talking about the U.S. Open this year. Okay, look. If the, again, if the tennis player wins a hard-fought game, fist pump away, okay? But, or you win a set. Look up in your, at your box up there, at your coach and your boyfriend or girlfriend or whatever, and go ahead and fist pump away. But after every freaking point, it's so fucking unnecessary, especially when your opponent hits an unforced error. Okay, you didn't do shit. You just hit the ball across the net, and they yacked it out of bounds or into the net. And here we go with the fist pumping again. I'm mind-screwing them, it's, so therefore I get to fist pump. I, I don't know. It, it's crazy. Let's move on to the world of soccer. Okay, now this is completely insane. I know most of you out there probably don't watch soccer. We, we give it a go here. But holy smoke, when somebody scores a goal in, in any league, I don't care which one, at any level, you would think somebody gave birth on the field. I mean, they're like hugging and kissing. The celebrating in, in the world of soccer is it's completely over the top. Now, before we go, I'm going to take a crack at the association, okay, the NBA. Okay, here we go with the high-fiving again. You've seen it if you watch basketball. College does it. High school probably does it. All right, dudes at the free-throw line, okay? And, okay, he takes the, say he gets two shots. It's not a one-and-one, two shots. Throws up the first one. Whether he bricks it or it goes in, we got a high-five, everybody's standing in the lane. High-five, 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 all the way around, okay? I don't get it, okay? Shoot the first shot, 
get the ball from the ref, shoot the second one, and let's get the hell, get the thing moving. I don't get it. Now, here's another one in the NBA that gripes my ass. The bench warmers. Okay. If you watch the horrible product that is the NBA, you've seen the bench warmers going crazy when one of their teammates, there's a slam dunk, an alley-oop, or whatever. So you got the bench warmers. They're over there jumping up and down, freaking out, swinging towels around. Okay, so dude flew through the air and dunked the ball. I mean, check this out, bench warmer. Okay, people have been slam dunking the basketball for like 30 years. So just just sit back, enjoy the game, and hope you get a few minutes before it's over. I, I don't know. The whole celebrating thing, the look at me thing, it, it's gotten so out of control and tired. But the big wigs who oversee these sports they're not going to do shit about it. Nothing. It's part. It's part of the pageant. It's, it's part it's, of the show. Right. It, uh, exactly. It adds to the entertainment of the event. And as we said before, sports really no longer any sport to it. it it's sports entertainment. That's what it is. Yeah, but show. I'm telling you, man. A lot of people are not entertained, and. I'm one of them. I mean, I just want us to play the game. Let's be real. Okay, sports, they are just games. And to, you know, act like a, uh, I don't know, the sports, they're just games. That's that's all they are. So to act in an uncivil manner, you know, just no sportsmanship at all. Okay, Let's just play the game. That's what sports are. They're, they're just games. Can we act in a civil, some kind of sportsmanship manner? Evidently, not anymore. All right, let's roll right into one tough, awesome lady. Boom. Rachel Carson. Born in 1907 from Springdale, Pennsylvania. Shout out Springdale. Uh, Rachel Carson was a marine biologist, a writer, conservationist. Started her college years at Pennsylvania College for Women, which is now known as Chatham? Mm Mm-hmm. Okay. Now, she wanted to get a doctorate from John Hopkins, but she had to leave school and take a teaching job to help her family get through the Great Depression. Right. And then her dad passed away, and she had to take care of her mom. Really rough time for Rachel Carson, who was ready to take on the world. Um, Started her career as a temp at the U.S. Bureau of Fisheries. Yes, this is back when, uh, during the Depression, when uh, Roosevelt was trying to get people to get jobs in the government. Mm -hmm. And that... She kind of broke the glass ceiling. She was only like the second female ever hired by them. By the Bureau of Fisheries. Fish and and Wildlife. Right. That's what it turned into. At one time, she submitted articles on marine life in the Chesapeake Bay. Right. 
uh, to local newspapers, magazines. We know a little bit about the Chesapeake Bay, don't we, Bay? Yes, we do. Rachel Carson wrote many things about many things going on in the waters around us. And the one that struck a nerve was her book called Silent Spring. Right. Written in 1962 that described the harmful effects of pesticides on the environment. Now, back in the day, farmers used a stuff called DDT, a pesticide to keep insects off their crops. Now, Rachel Carson discovered that DDT was killing more than bugs. Of course, it was, you know, she was kind of going against big business, right? Right. And there was production. Hey, we need some fruits and vegetables right now. Let's get rid of those bugs and stuff. Right. Thinking about the birds and everything else and the cycle of life that they were taking out. I mean, this book, Silent Spring, kind of started what we know now as the environmental movement. Correct. Rachel kind of started. And I know some of you are saying, you know, uh, screw the tree, tree huggers and all that. But if we didn't have people on this earth like Rachel Carson pointing out the obvious, there would be probably less species here today on land and in our rivers and oceans. And I have, a kin- I feel a kinship a little bit with Rachel. She grew up on the country. She lived on her parents' farm. She's kind of a loner. Walked right. around and looked at, you know, plants and animals while she was there. In kind the of, nature. I, into nature like I am. I walk around now with a camera and take photos of nature. So I can kind of see where she came from. I mean, she noticed that areas getting dosed with that DDT had like very decreasing bird populations. Right. I mean... We would freak out right now if we walked out and we didn't hear birds in the morning, right? <laughs> you know, the, the horrible irony of Rachel Carson's life is she was trying to protect the environment of harmful chemicals causing disease and death, and she ended up with breast cancer yes. and died at age 56. And she was she kept it, I mean, she was lauded by JFK and, and several other people, and she was like doing interviews, you know, on TV when she was wearing a wig and trying to keep that information on the down low. Yeah. Rachel Carson is most likely the reason we have an environmental protection agency today. And I know sometimes they can go overboard, but the EPA, it is needed. And that makes Rachel Carson one tough, awesome lady. All right, we haven't watched anything. Yes, we we have, and this you watched with me. Um, I watched a documentary on Netflix called Radical Wolf about Tom Wolf, the writer. Oh, it was good. Tom Wolf grew up here in Richmond, Virginia. He went to St. Christopher's. He also went to W&L, as we would say, Washington Lee University up there in the mountains in Lexington. He also went to Yale, and he was a great writer. He really was. He started something called New Journalism. It's where you use techniques. It started kind of in the 60s and 70s. You use literary techniques in an unconventional way to tell a story. Back then, you know, when you would do journalism, it'd be how, what, when, where, why, who, and all that. But he would, you know, expound a little bit on it. 
And he is responsible for many terms that we have today that people, you know, use all the time. And they're like, oh, I don't know where that came from. He, it's because he wrote it. The first one is the right stuff about the qualities, personal qualities to get a job done. Another one is good old boy. Uh, was used, you know, we know he wrote this thing about Junior Johnson, the last American hero, and described him as a as a good old boy. And we know what good old boy <laughs> means today because we know he started that right. Catching flack is another thing he got that a lot of catchphrases he right. came up with. Another one is radical chic. He wrote a better uh, black a Park Avenue party with the Bernstein family and the Black Panthers. Interesting cat. He yeah. kind of wore like seersucker suits or ties or something all the time. Okay, now here's the thing. I researched that. The white suit deal. Now, what would you wear in the 60s and 70s in Virginia on a hot summer day? You would wear a white suit or a seersucker suit, something light. Right. Well, he goes into the tailor and he... He sees some fabric and goes, I want you to make a suit out of that. Well, it was wool. <laughs> and he goes, I can't wear that in the right. summertime. I'll wear it in the winter. So that's how he got his little look. His, of look. A, his look of being a dandy. Yeah. So I'm reading he, one of his books right now, <laughs> the one about the LSD stuff. Another thing he coined was the me decade or me generation. And some of his best books were um, The Right Stuff, um, one of my favorite was Bonfire of the Vanities. I think Steve is really reading right now Electric Kool-Aid Acid Test. I am. Um, it's weird. It's weird. <laughs> anyway. But, but he's one of those dudes when you start reading him, it just flows. You know, you're just reading it and it's just going right on and you don't even know it. As George Plimpton would say, he's the most one of the most creative, skillful writers of his generation. And that was on what? That was it's on Netflix called okay. Radical uh Radical Wolf. All right. Give it a watch. Give it a watch. Let's give it a shot. It's time to get the party started with some shots. We're gonna do the forest fire shot today. I don't know what cat's recipe recipe is. Mine Sometimes, was Everclear and Tabasco. That's incorrect. Okay. We're gonna leave that out. <laughs> Thank God. I don't know what that is. Okay, in your shot glass, add an ounce and a half of scotch. Don't get the cheap shit, Glenlivet, Glenfittage, get the good stuff. And then add a half ounce of pine syrup. And you go, what is pine syrup? Look it up. In your shot glass, you got and that's, scotch. And that's not pine salt, so don't no, go there. And just stir it with your finger, and bam, you got the forest fire shot that easy two ingredients cats made us one kind of just looks like scotch down the hatch well since i love scotch i'm all about it yes got no problems thank you cat that was delish mm, good all right we're gonna move right into band of the week took a while to get to him but it was a stone temple pilots formed in 1989 from san diego california san diego we were bump bumpered in with uh was it tripping tripping, tripping on a hole in a paper. paper heart kick-ass song all right we got scott wallen rest in peace eric kretz on drums and the brothers 
DeLeo yes. on bass Gene and guitar. And Robert yeah. DeLeo. First album came out, Core. I remember it. The videos were all over MTV. They kind of got mixed up in the grunge thing STP did. I thought they were a little different to me than the grunge stuff. But anyway. I thought they were a little more creative. Yeah. They had Wicked Garden, Plush. I mean, they came out blazing, right? Now, they got their name from the stickers we used to get little kids, STP oil treatment or whatever they were on the side of richard petty's car right and you could go to a gasoline station and get a bunch of them and stuff yeah well they thought that you know hey we'll uh make our name whatever we come up with stp and we can get these stickers for free for free and walk (laughs) out with them give them to everybody everywhere it was genius (laughs) it was scott wyland for all his faults and he did have many he a very impressive front man Yes. And, of course, Stone Temple Pilots kind of careened down a down the hole, right? It was just a downward spiral, as Heroin did is Scott. Heroin uh, is a bummer. Second album, Purple. Right. Even better. Interstate Love Song. Everybody knows that oh, song. that's a good one. Vaseline. Great songs. Two more albums. And then Scott Wallen starts to be a problem. This story has kind of been played out with so many other bands. I'm not going to get into Scott's problems. Dude was a great front man, and then he wasn't. Uh, they, S- did, they did get a Grammy hard rock performance. Oh, they for did? Plush. Get the hell out. 1994. Yeah, I know a lot of STP fans. They got a lot of good songs. You can dig deep in their albums, and uh, they have a lot of killer songs. They are still out there with a guy named Jeff Goot. Gut is the singer. I saw But them. I mean, Chester. Who? Chester Bennington used to sing with He for did a for while. a little while. That was another sad story. Yes. This, yeah. Bummer. So anyway, I, I saw STP not too long ago. It was on, they showed some live show. And uh, it wasn't good. It wasn't. It's a shame. Again, they have a lot of good songs. It's just not the same, and they know it. Anyway, check out Stone Temple Pilots wherever you get your music. But thank everybody for hanging out on the back porch. We'll see you all down the road. See ya. Don't just to whisper out.